This episode of the Ink Studs is brought to you by House of Ore, Roll20, and Colonial Souls. All co-created by Nolan T. Jones. Nolan is an avid Ink Studs listener and appeared on a few of our book club episodes back in 2011. He'd like for you, his fellow listeners, to know that House of Ore is a fantasy webcomic that's a bit different from its peers due to the way it updates, using reader input that is not just choose-your-own-adventure gimmicks, but instead lightly shapes the background of the world. Roll20 is the most popular way to play tabletop role-playing games online, with nearly a half million users. One of Nolan's duties for Roll20 is running the digital artwork marketplace, where he helps distribute creator-owned role-playing content. Finally, Colonial Souls is an upcoming comic Nolan wrote about a dying alien race in need of ghostly spirits to inhabit the eggs of their next generation. Uh, Inkstones on the road, I'm sitting here in the uh, kind of interesting, uh, we're in the offices for ADHD. Mm -hmm. ADHD Friends Night. Um, Where you've been working for, since it started or? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I guess it's almost two years now. Yeah. It's a very lovely office space. I was telling Brandon this room that we're in. It's all empty except for some computers and a leather couch. Kind of like that. This like white leather couch in the middle of a room. It's uh, hopefully going to stay like this forever. This will <laughs> just be the podcast room. Yeah, it's just an attic of an animation studio. Robin was saying it's like where they, it's like where they killed uh, Stringer Bell. Stringer Bell and the, the wire. The wire. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, this very much looks like Baltimore. Sure. Yeah, it's this is where we store all of our paper because no one uses paper anymore, or at least in our studio. There's like no, like the funniest moments are in meetings or whatever when um someone wants to like doodle or like sketch something and there's like not one pencil or pen to be found, much less like paper. Right. Because everything's on uh, on Cintiqs nowadays. Yeah. Which uh, actually like um. um it was like a huge help for me like when I decided to, to do this last issue um, like of epoxy of epoxy like most of the issue I'd say actually like 99% of it is done on a Cintiq like I I uh, just I think it was like maybe late last year I had this like crazy breakthrough because when I first started working here at ADHD like I was still drawing on paper and I was just like scanning stuff um, and giving it to like um the other departments or just putting it on the server uh but but we had like some crazy deadline crunch for some show and i just decided to to just um go for it and just draw everything on the tablet and it was like a revelation it was just like so much faster i was able to like um fix my mistakes and you know like move drawings around piece them together uh, so much quicker and I realized like a lot of the uh, like the um, one of the big turnoffs I guess for doing comics is just like the tediousness of like drawing like you know how it is Um, like the the most pleasurable pleasurable parts are like when you're when you're conceiving it when you're writing the story or when you're like thumbnailing the story or the actions and stuff but when it comes down to actually drawing it out, ruling, borders, lettering. I have a sick love for that kind of stuff, but... Uh. It's cool, because, um, I mean, you still do that stuff on the Cintiq. Like, I still hand letter right. everything, and I still, like, 
you know, rule all my lines. Yeah, Jordan Crane was talking about how he handled his own Cintiq earlier today, and I was really surprised by that. I mean, it's, it's awesome that people are yeah. doing that. Do you do, do you put up a font, and then he, he has a font of his handwriting, and he writes over it? Oh, really? I, I just do it. I just, like, uh, I just write it out. Yeah, I just write it out. I, I thought about doing the font thing for a while, and I, I think I had gotten kind of far in, in testing it out, and it just didn't look right. Even if I were to like just uh, trace over it like the way Jordan's doing. Can I see the new epoxy? I actually I couldn't tell it was yeah. digital at all. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, um, I spent like maybe a week um, getting every like brush, every sort of tool to look exactly like the the drawing tools that I was using for like Sublife One and Two, the Fanographics books. Um, like down like the most like micro minutest like mm -hmm. level like I would just zoom in to see what like a, a pen stroke looked like and then in Photoshop I would just modify a brush until it looked exactly like that oh, same what about uh, the coloring on it what, what process did you do for that uh, same thing we just Photoshop okay. yeah, and I really cool. yeah thanks and I knew that like the sort of saving grace is once it ran through the Rezo everything would just end up like getting weirdly like analogued Mm -hmm. You know, like it's such a weird organic process that mm -hmm. it uh, it helps sort of balance out like the the digital the digitalness of it. Well, let's talk about you and the Riso. I mean, lots of people have been doing Riso comics lately. It's kind of the new chic thing in mini comic scenes. Yeah. I mean, ironically, yeah, it's funny the the lo fi and Ryan Sands does his yeah anthologies. Well, it just makes sense too. It's like you have so much control. But you don't. You don't. Well, I mean, not not control in the sense of where the colors print necessarily, yeah. but control in the sense of of you're the one making it, and you're you know you have, it gives you power. We're not. It's yeah. like there's there's a start to finish. Yeah. 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 Um, but your Risso stuff is kind of like it's like this next level, which is what really excited me. Why I wanted to come talk to you about it because it's like. Um, the Epoxy 4, uh, which came out for Brooklyn yeah. last year, right? And then also you've done a couple of the, um, I don't know how to describe them, they're like weird fake advertisements and just... Yeah, like fanzines, little, I guess, yeah. is the best way. Yeah. yeah, and they're all like, to me, like just blowing my mind um, <laughs> with what you've been doing with it. I'm just wondering about kind of like that learning curve with the Riso, like why did you jump into it? Because it's not in your other work something you've necessarily been yeah it's quite different yeah yeah um i you know i think i i was looking over like some old receipts and uh i found the receipt uh for the rezo purchase like the the machine that i bought that i used to like to, to print the fanzines and, and epoxy and it was 2011 and i can't remember how i first heard about it but like I know that when I did first hear about it, and the more I found out about it, like the more it just sounded like the perfect thing for me. And I got really excited and also scared. And it was also like that, it was also the year that I had sort of kind of taken like an indefinite break from comics. Mm -hmm. So the timing was like weirdly perfect. Because um, getting it definitely sort of like uh, um, got me excited about doing about making things again. It was just like, it was, it was really like the, the, um, the promise of, of making stuff that got me really excited, like just getting my hands dirty. Um, 
because I had you know I'd done screen printing like years ago and like making like Xerox uh, mini comics you know like that was always really fun like even doing this like substitute life thing you know was was like an awesome experience um, it's like really a little was it from sketchbooks yeah yeah it was all like old sketchbook stuff uh, and, and then hearing about like um, what was possible with like a Rizzo just in terms of color like mm -hmm. spot color that got me really really excited so I got the machine and um, it took me about two or three years like just on and off to like get to uh, a satisfying point like where I felt like I could control like what I wanted to control and also accept the things that were out of my control um, just like little things like being able to, to interface it with like my computer and send like digital files so I can get like that kind of feathered um, like effect with the uh, with the with the, the grays and stuff right. um, and then also like just learning all the weird uh, nuances that you know like each machine has in terms of like registration it's all these like weird things that you have to keep track of and that you have to kind of adjust on the fly a lot of times yeah. just to just to make sure registrations right um, like when when I do like the the last color I literally have to like s stand over the tray and like stare at each copy that <laughs> oh, runs no. through and if it starts to drift I have to like make adjustments like then and there because yeah. if not it's like if my run is like 700 and I just like turn it on and forget it it's like 700 wasted right. you know copies yeah. so how many colors were in this one the uh, the covers are three color. J and K is three color, and then Deep Space is two color. Oh, okay. And those fanzines are two color. It's yeah. amazing because, like, I feel like is it just the gray tones that really create all these amazing gradients yeah. with the two colors? Yeah, yeah. It's that, and it's like the it's it's how you mix them too. You know, I mean, it's, it's a really nice combination of stuff. Thanks. Because, like, it, when I look at it, I get the feeling that there's so much more happening there with the colors yeah i mean it's technically through three colors but then you know mixing each color in, in certain like ratios creates you know just totally different colors and and yellow like i really cheat with yellow like um i just use one value of yellow mm -hmm. so so in other words like the the blue and the and the hot pink there's like different sort of like percentages there's like some parts of like Jay's co costume is like 90% pink other parts are like 50 same thing with like the blues but um, with yellow I just use like 20% yellow like there's no like to me there's no like this is really nerdy but that's like, fine there's no um, I mean there's like diminishing returns if you're using like 5% yellow here and then it's like 30 like no one will tell the difference because yellow is like such a subtle you know color anyway but yeah, yeah, I was you know pretty, pretty happy with how it turned out. Yeah, and awesome. you have to be really particular with the paper too, right? That you use or no? no? <laughs> I go for the cheapest, like off-white paper from uh, the paper store. Like I, I, that's another thing I learned from like years of like screen printing and all this other stuff. It's like it's such a, it's such a dumb. It's a scam. It's well for me. It's I mean for some people it's it's all about like if you're happy with it as an artist like the materials you're working with. Um, so it's you know I'm not um, making like a blanket statement but for me it was just like I know I'm gonna print up like 
uh, a lot of these, so I want to keep the costs as low as possible, right, but still have them. Okay. Uh, I always think, like, when I did a Risso thing in the thickness anthology, and, and when I see the stuff, it, and what I was going for in that is really, like, old Shonen Jump stuff yeah. from my childhood, mm -hmm. and this, this book, even the design you've done in this book really feels like a kind of hearkening back yeah, to, yeah. to, like... There's little anthologies. Manga and things? That's, that's exactly... It, it's yeah. that... It's like old Shonen Jump. Um, is that called like manga kai? It's yeah. like yeah. What is manga kai again? That's just what you call like the guys that make manga. Oh okay okay. One of my Japanese friends like said that. And I was like, what is like I know manga, but like manga kai. It's just yeah, the it's name just, of the. Just like saying cartoonist. Oh okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, it was that, and it was uh, Dynamite magazine. Do you guys remember? Oh yeah. Dynamite the, at all? The uh, the American, like, like kind of. Teen magazine. Right? Yeah, yeah. Almost like Highlights magazine of Dynamite were kind of on the right. same racks. Yeah, but Highlights was for like the younger sort yeah. of like middle school or or preschool even. Did Dynamite have Spider Man on the cover? I don't think so. It, it did have comics like. Um, I'm tying into the electric company now or something. <laughs> yeah, you might, yeah you might be thinking of that. Uh, it, it was kind of like really. It, it was just like a little hint of Mad Magazine. Um, a little bit more of like highlights and then like a little bit of like tiger beat you know yes. but it was awesome because it, it it was full of like these weird inserts and, and the inserts would be like posters or stickers or like patches even um, and it I mean they'd have comics they'd have like crossword puzzles yeah so yeah that was it was like old issues of Shonen Jump from like the 80s and, and Dynamite so was it um, drawing on the Cintiq that kind of made it okay for you to get back into doing comics? It helped. It definitely, it definitely helped. I, I was going to do it either way. Um, uh, like I think the first page of, of Deep Space is, is the last one that was done on paper. Like that, that page right there was right all the done on paper. All the panels and it's kind of the only dialogue scene in the issue, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then that I just did. That's like the the first um, stab at trying to do it on this is Cintiq. The way you draw um, space and spaceships is such a great '70s like Liji Matsumoto animation thing. Like yeah. it's like these are like it's you like find photograph matte, matte paintings almost. You know. Yeah, that's what I was going for. Where it's like almost like uh, photo photo collaged or something. Did you ever look at uh, Ryan Cecil Smith's? Yeah, SF. Uh -huh. The SF, SF comics, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, because he seems like he's coming from somewhere close. Oh, yeah. definitely. And he did a lot of his stuff on the Rizzo um, in Japan, actually. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah they had a, yeah. Something about the, the feel of this, and especially the character where, the scene where a young girl shows up then, yeah. really reminded me of, like, Diacon, the old... Oh, really? Yeah, was that at all influence? Actually, that was, uh, that was, like, a Kubrick thing. Oh, interesting. Um... Yeah, it's just like a weird like single like frame flashback, and it's like symmetrically like sort of mm -hmm. you know um, composed. Crash spaceship. Yeah, yeah, and then it's also like the hair like that looks like Danny Torrance from The Shining, kind of. Uh -huh. That's who I based it on. Like I wanted it to be like, oh, is that a boy or is that a girl? But I mean that'll get explained. Uh, I think maybe two chapters from now. We were talking downstairs. I'm not sure if it was you or, or Derek or Kim. We were, I was saying that I'm doing storyboarding now, and it's I feel really alien in it. And one of you had said that it's all storytelling. Oh, that was you, I think. Yeah, yeah. You were talking about the Adventure Time yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Is there, is there? Do you feel like when you approach your comic work, your animation work, that it's 
different or is it coming from a, same, a similar place? Um, not storytelling wise because like my job here is so I, I art direct like all the shows mm-hmm. so I'm just in charge of like the design and, and the sort of like aesthetic um, direction of all the shows the storytelling gets like shifted over to like, a different department um, what what does sort of inform my comics work is um, so I work with Ben Jones and Ben um, like I get a lot of support from Ben in, in terms of trying to bring really disparate like weird influences into the design work here mm-hmm. that isn't necessarily seen in a lot of other animation shows so in other words like um, a lot of animation shows will just reference other things in animation right. in terms it's of style kind of yeah um, whereas like we're always open to you know like influences from like anything from like fine art to outsider art to like just like cinema to weird like indie Hank comics the ca- or to Cowboy Hank we're trying yeah. to like you know sneak that into some of the uh, some of the shows right now so that so that's how it influenced my comics I think it was just me being able to um, it was just all these like months of like researching all these awesome um, comics and stuff for these shows here at ADHD I just started to feel like my mind opening up to maybe letting my comics reflect that too mm-hmm. so um, yeah I, I don't know if I can like point specifically to like what some of the influences were um, in like Deep Space or like J&K but it was just like Mobius or Otomo you know like right. it was definitely like some I was thinking about a lot of like going through a bunch of your work over the last couple of days and really thought a lot about Otomo Especially with the early epoxies. Yeah, like the first the, issue. With the battle scene. Yeah. With the snake. Yeah, yeah. Oh or God, the dragon. So long ago. Oh, yeah, the character that, that uh, uses coins as well. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, that's um, so cool. It's 14 years ago, my God. It's like you're showing me my old high school. Year <laughs> or something. Remember when you used to wear that shirt every day? <laughs> well, that shirt's back in. <laughs> it's great going through the into someone's entire body of work and being able to look at the themes that, that that stay all the way through. Yeah. Do you feel like you're, um, are there things that you like try to say in your work or are there things that you kind of would like to say in your work that, that your life's at but your work isn't quite at yet? Um, I, I did think about this a lot when I was, uh, I guess when I started working on, on the Sublife comics uh, for Fana. Um, but I started to, to because sometimes like um, a good thing to do is just to make the work, and then uh, and then maybe look back and see if there's any like patterns or like themes that are like recurring. Uh, and I started to f- to to maybe figure out that a lot of my stuff is about like uh, like ad hoc family relationships, like people who just sort of who aren't really like bonded by blood or anything through like family relation relations. But um, who just sort of like make up, uh, like a like a, some sort of like family unit. So, yeah, I think that's you know once I recognize that, I was like, okay, maybe I should just kind of focus on that because maybe because I think that kind of resonates with me. I mean, with J and K, even with like Deep Space, you know, with those two astronauts, um, 
it's definitely something I want to kind of explore. And you're, right, and you're always an artist I've associated with other artists. Like you seem like you have a you have a good um, uh, you have kind of a good art relationship. You have a you have a kind of you're, you have an art family almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see that. Yeah, I. Uh, you know, I never like I didn't start doing comics until I was like twenty five. I never knew any other artists like uh, growing up. Uh, I didn't really start meeting other artists until like Epoxy One. Like I, I, I heard about the Zarek through Escapo. Like I, I, I bought Escapo, and I was a, I was a huge Paul Pope fan, and I somehow had found out that he had won Zarek. I don't know if it was for Escapo, but I think I, it was the Doctor Richardson or the one before that. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was, it was. He had gotten it, and I was like, "Oh, I should check this this thing out." And that was sort of the catalyst to get me started on making comics like, in a serious way. And then through that, going to like conventions and meeting people who just happened like live in LA, and even people who didn't live in LA, um, I just started, you know, becoming friendly with them. And and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's those are some of the best friendships. You know, I've I've got to this day like Derek. I mean, that's a great example. Right. You know, <clears throat> Sammy, Jordan. Yeah, and just that we show up here to, to meet you, and, and that Derek was here too. It's just like, oh, of course he's here, <laughs> <laughs> right? It's it's completely logical. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. When I told like uh, a lot of our mutual friends, and even like you know my girlfriend, who's like my wife now. Uh, that Derek got the job is just everyone just rolled their eyes. It's, like, <laughs> it's dick jokes and horrible like drawings all day. And you're never gonna get any work done. And what was that drawing of you on the door to your office? Oh, uh, <laughs> that's not by Derek. Derek actually had a few other ones that were really nasty that I haven't put up yet. Um, it's it's me. It was it was drawn by um, one of Sean's really good friends actually. This guy Chase Conley. And it's uh, for the listeners out there. It's a, it's a drawing of me like in my office jerking off uh, <laughs> while reading like a like a dirty magazine. Uh, but it's awesome. It looks like uh, it looks like a seventies like um, Jack Davis drawing or something on the front of your door, like a plaque. To be yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even put it up there. This is like our first day here, and whoever was moving all of my stuff probably saw it and just was like, oh, this is where we can tell fam. Uh, his office is going to be this will be his name tag um, but yeah that's what goes on here <laughs> I should I should uh, laminate it um, so you've been involved with ADHD from the beginning um, and then before that you're working on problem solvers is that how you got connected with Ben or yeah yeah uh, that's how I started working with Ben um, I, I guess Sammy I th- I f- you know what that I've never really uh, like confronted Sammy on this like because uh, when Ben asked me to help him with problem solvers it was just like a, a text message out of the blue but I'm fairly certain like Sammy was the person who like um, turned Ben on to my work I had met Ben like maybe a year earlier uh, in Providence when we were on the Kramers tour and I met him at his apartment so that was the first time I had met him oh okay yeah, but um, he didn't ask me to like help him or to work with him until like maybe like a year and a half later, and yeah, but that's you know he he needed help on problem solvers and and asked me and that was like my first animation job. That's 
been awesome. That's your first. That was my first animation. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So what was your what was your job on that? I was a lead character designer, um, and uh, John Vermilia actually was the background designer. So it was indie comics like all up yeah. and down. There seems to be a lot of indie comics in animation now. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely like a renaissance. Because I don't even—is there even like a mainstream comics crossover the same way? Uh, I don't know. I mean, there probably wasn't. I remember hearing like the Jackie Chan Adventures artist was one of the old Image Comics guys, and really, a lot of the old Image guys have gone into like storyboarding for movies, but yeah, where their work is visual. Stephen Platt, like uh, (laughs) yeah, Stephen. Um, does stuff for the Marvel movies like Iron Man right. yeah. and he's here in LA too yeah um, I feel like in the past I mean like Kirby did like a bunch of stuff in animation uh, that, wasn't that like the reason he moved out to LA was to I think it was actually for health for his daughters oh really she had like really bad asthma oh okay, okay. so like the dry air that was okay yeah um, I'm sure it didn't hurt like his um, animation connections no yeah, because I think he was kind of done with mainstream comics. Yeah, folks. Well, who can blame him? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, like I always assume because I'm always you know remarkably unfamiliar with a lot of the animations. I have friends that work in it, but mostly comic book dude. But is was the pen Lord a big part of that, or is that was that later of the comics of just kind of getting comic book people into? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, with this current wave, it's him and it's a JG. Um, the creator of a regular show. Okay. Yeah. I don't know who did it first, but it was someone had the genius idea of just recruiting Young good coaches. storytellers yeah. from like any comics. We have to actually watch regular show. Have you? I haven't seen it. I I got hooked on Adventure Time. Oh, okay. Well, you should put regular show on next. It's yeah, it's really good. And the title and is so unenticing. It's <laughs> a it's an odd title, but uh, they're able to execute. You know, like you would think just looking at the um, the designs and like the backgrounds and even the title, it's you know, oh, it's probably this really unassuming generic show. Is there a lot of crossover between the different studios? Because in Vancouver, anyone who works in animation has worked in all the animation studios. It seems like. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, people go wherever there's work and wherever there's like good work. So if there is someone who is on hiatus, you know, from one studio, and if there's work available at another, they just go. Or if, like, conditions, or if, like, uh, pay, or, like, benefits are better at another studio, they can easily jump from one to another. So that that definitely, there's a lot of cross-pollination, for sure. What were you doing before animation? Because that wasn't, Problem Solvers wasn't that long ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was doing comics, and uh, I was painting. I... So I had finished, I had just finished Sub, Sublife 2, and this is back when I had my studio with Sammy, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, after that issue I really felt like I had like a kind of like a personal and like professional crisis where I was just like, do I, is this like a good sort of thing to commit to for the rest of my life in terms of like being able to make a career and like support myself and Am I like sort of painting myself into a corner here? So I really just started to freak out. Um, and I decided to just take like an indefinite break and just explore other stuff. And uh, I, uh, that's when I had a painting show. I was like, oh, I should just take a stab at, you know, doing like some fine art. Um, and that was 
really, really awesome. It, it sort of uh, opened my brain up to like um, some cool ideas for comics. Mm-hmm. And I always find that happens. It's like when I, when I do something in another medium, um, it always informs like, you know, my comics, which I feel like are, are my favorite medium or is my favorite medium. Um, or the one that I'm like probably best suited to do. Uh, so yeah, so I did painting, and then weirdly enough, Ben, I feel like, sort of saw some of the paintings and thought that they that I'd be a good fit for problem solvers based on that, which is ironic because he was a huge influence on the paintings too. Oh really? So there's this like weird- like, A lot of bright colors. A lot of bright like <laughs> neon saturated colors and geometry. Uh, yeah, so, so comics and painting, um, and then animation. So working with Ben had, um, and being so new to animation, um, was he pretty good as far as like, or kind of what did he do as far as like kind of getting you caught up to speed? Uh, he he threw me to the wolves and he, <laughs> and he let me like, he uh, gave me like freedom, you know, like he, he gave me like his trust. Um, you know, that was, because I didn't know what I was doing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it was it, like the the kind the kind of animation we do here is, is flash animation. So it's a very specific kind of like software. It's a specific way of like drawing and, and making stuff. Um, but on problem solvers, it was even more so like just uh, like a, an unashamed use of the, the program. Yeah. Things were very flat and looked like paper puppets. Um, so that so that means that you have to kind of like design things in a very specific way, uh, and you have to like use the software in a specific way. And I had no idea, like I didn't, I never even opened up that program, like I didn't know what it was. Uh, but he's like, oh, don't worry about it, you'll be fine. Uh, so he threw me to the wolves there, and I and I ended up working with like, um, you know, like lunch bucket dudes who are like just have this this like blue collar approach to animation and and I was this new guy that like was fucking up their shit and like <laughs> was really stupid and was not who didn't know what he was doing. So there's a lot of like it was a pretty like rough learning uh curve and a and a pretty, you know, like tough period for a while, but then I got the hang of it and uh things got a lot better and then we got canceled it was a pretty odd interesting conceptual show at the time like yeah. watched it, and it's definitely like comes from a whole other part of the brain definitely it's it's uh it's the part of the brain where everything is like turned up to 11 <laughs> it's it's uh and maybe there should have been a bit a bit more of a balance there like if like I I mean obviously I might be biased but like if the visuals are that like sort of overwhelming then definitely you kind of want to balance that out with like dialogue or story that isn't quite as you know overwhelming Um, because then the brain just doesn't have to work overtime like process or like receive everything has that part of kind of informing what you guys have been doing here with ADHD because it's kind of a big operation here yeah. in comparison to problem solvers. I think so. Um, you know, uh, I don't know how much of it is a function of like just television uh, in general. Like, 
you know, like, is that how TV is nowadays? It's just like we have to just like give people like jokes every like two seconds. I mean, I just, it definitely isn't at that like sort of rate that Problem Solvers was. I mean, you know, we're, the jokes are a little bit more refined here and um, things just aren't as like shouty. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's cool. I don't know. I mean, yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm usually just on the aesthetic side of it and, like, design and and, uh, and how things look. Now, some of the shows have been uh, High School USA. Is that High School USA, uh, Axe Cop, Golan. So, yeah, like, certain, like, you know, like, people will work on, like, what shows are best suited for their, like, talent. Or their aesthetic or whatever. Are they are they animated in in Korea or uh, everything's here? Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's the big sort of uh, I guess deal is that everything is is done in house, including animation. Hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. that's all those uh, people down there. Those okay. are all Axe Cup animators. Yeah, the Stone Quackers team is in the other building, just because that's where Ben is situated. Ben is the uh, creative director of mm-hmm. the company. And uh, so his, his offices are in the main building and, and he likes to keep his team sort of like near there. And I shuttle back and forth, like depending on like, you know, who needs me when. Is that where your office used to be? Because you just moved today. Yes, yes. This is my new office with that, you know, that really loud air conditioning unit. But I'm not going to complain. I have my own space and it's quiet. I mean, okay. aside from that. That must be a pretty great perk when like everyone's kind of in the the room working together then you've got your own space not going to complain do you have a workspace at home where you draw as well I do I do I have a uh, just a table with this antique and the Rizzo's like right next to it my wife is like super bummed out that the Rizzo's in the living room like it takes up so much room they're pretty giant it's like the size of a Xerox machine then you have the, the ink drones yeah and then you have all the fucking paper you know so it's, uh, I mean, bless her, she's, she's grown to sort of accept it, but it does take up a lot of room. Now, why do you choose to buy Riso? Like, that's kind of a, like, when you go and get something like that, you know, you plan on doing yeah. something with it. Yes. I, I just felt like it was, like, I had to get it, you know. It's, it's crazy, like, you can't, like, there's no showrooms, yeah. especially for the model I got. Um, and this is why it's ironic that it's like sort of uh, like found as uh, like a renaissance amongst like indie people is it's really old technology yeah like the the machine I have is like from like the early 90s and um, yeah it's crazy like I've talked to some of the, the people who work here and they're like oh I'm I kind of want to get a Rezo like how old is, is your machine and, and I'll tell them and they'll be like it's older than me <laughs> like they're, they were born after the machine <laughs> so, which is like so disgusting but it's yeah so it's it's crazy but um no I just felt like I had to get it and, and I there wasn't even like a weird question like maybe I should try it out or test yeah. it or anything and I just kind of knew like I did like a little bit of research just to see if um the uh, the resolution was like good and and the drummer the drum selection the drum selection in terms of like the colors and stuff yeah because I guess some don't have as much many drums available yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, there's way there's workarounds yeah like there's um, I found a uh, an ink supplier that can custom mix any 
color, any oh, Pantone wow. color. Either that or any color from their catalog, which is pretty extensive, and it and and it, it's pretty pricey. But um, but you know, there's ways to get like whatever colors you want into whatever drums. And I figured out how to like disassemble drums and completely clean them out so that you can put new colors in there because each drum has to be a certain color, you know. Yeah. So that was part of that whole like two year learning process. Like I was doing. I was making those fanzines. This fan, the fanzines were sort of like testing out yeah. like processes. And then I was doing projects for other people too, like Sammy like had me do. Yeah, I got his one, that like weird horror. Yeah. One that was pretty awesome. So is there some joy in, <clears throat> in working the same machine, the machine in the same way that, you know, ruling out borders and doing lettering and everything? I always call that kind of work um, washing dishes. Washing dishes or laying brick? Either way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's totally. you have to do. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it's uh, it's really satisfying when you get to that end step when you're when you're either um, printing the final color or or even if things seem to be going right, like if you if you feel like you've figured out a trick that gives you more control over the process, then that's like really satisfying, you know. Like I figured out like the other day, um, like a, a little trick that helped me keep things registered a little bit better and it was just a simple like it was like a it was like a piece of plastic that's like the size of like my thumb and it was like oh if you if you change that out every like 10,000 copies and you, and you put a fresh one in there and you sort of like keep it clean like it, it helps with like misfeeds and it helps with like registration wow and I was like oh I didn't fucking know this and I was like torturing myself for so long like just you know like wondering why things weren't turning out the way I wanted them to turn out so it's like yeah every every like day I'm like learning something new with the machine and, and how to make it work better yeah. it's awesome I always think about how sometimes the craft that an artist puts into something is almost the um, it's like their way of showing that it's bringing flowers to the art you know what I mean it's like mm -hmm. You like the art and you're making fun you're, you're having fun with it creating it that's one thing but then like you know just the real like the love that you're going to put into messing with your risograph machine yeah to experiment with it yeah yeah it's I mean and that's like the finishing sort of like you know I mean it's the it's the last step it's like you know like writing and then thumbnailing and then penciling and then inking and lettering all that stuff um, it's all you know like iterative mm -hmm. you know you're going through all these like different sort of stages of like the idea or the story and you know like to me like just printing it is like the last like stage or the last step right especially in comic books that's the printed version is what everything else is for it's, yeah it's that's the, the art object yeah yeah that's the uh that's the, the final like that's the product you know um Stopping after doing the two issues for Fanographics and Sublife, and then coming back to Epoxy, it's, I thought it was interesting that you're doing as an Epoxy comic, because I mean, it's so disconnected yeah. from the previous ones. Um, what's that kind of specialness for you of like being a part of that series? Uh, you know, when I got the idea to, to do it um, on the Rezo and to just self-publish something that was like really uh, that had like a low page count 
um, and that was like a pamphlet, and so therefore would not be very publishable. Yeah. Like, because there's very few publishers that will will still do that. Um, I was like, okay, well, obviously it can't be Sub Life because that should just be with Fana. Um, and I was, I was looking for a title, and uh, and then I just thought, why not just call it Epoxy? It would just be really funny, kind of like, oh, it's been like a ten year publishing gap. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's been like way longer publishing gaps in, in comics, in indie comics, but for me, it, it just seemed like kind of a like you know one a funny thing to do and and two just uh like uh i don't know i just felt it just felt like you know kind of cool like just to be able to like return back to something that i might have been embarrassed about yeah like high school it's like that haircut that you got in high school is all of a sudden like cool again and it's like so why not like just get your haircut in that way um is that also why you reprinted the second epoxy uh, that was more just because um, there's so much surprising interest in all the old issues of Epoxy. It, it actually worked out like real. It seems like I maybe had like some shrewd business sense behind it, but it just accidentally like created this demand for all the other old older issues. Okay. Uh, and issue two had been out of print for like a really long time, and I had never even like wanted to reprint it. But I thought about it like, and I was like, oh, it's one color. It's um, it's like I forgot, like maybe forty-eight pages. I could reprint that in a weekend. Um, so why not just do it? And I'm sure like people would be stoked to have like a complete set. Yeah. You know, so um, so I just did it, and it was really easy to do, and it was really fun, and yeah, now people can have like a you know, a complete run. Is it hard to leave the old work alone and not mess with it? Yes. Oh my God. But I mean, you just kind of like ignore it. Like, right. you just don't read it. You just, like, lay it out, <laughs> but make sure you don't linger on any of the pages. And as it's printing out, don't read it. Just, like, let it go on the tray. And then, yeah. So, for all I know, it's, like, completely misprinted and out of order and <laughs> fucked up. But I'm not. They bought it, so. Exactly. Someone will tell me. So, with the, with the new stuff, is this part of, this? It's, it's the beginning of a series, right? I, I would like for it to be, yeah, sure. I'm working on the next issue right now, so for the time being, that's what I want it to be. Have you, have you, when you, when you plan something like this, do you, is it pretty structured, or are you just kind of doing it as you go? Uh, the stories are like for Deep Space. I, I, I have kind of like a, a general, uh, like direction and outline. Uh, for J and K, because J and K is more episodic, not episodic, but more self-contained. Um, I've got like a few ideas that would make for good. Um, individual issues um, but for the overall like series it's it's just like just try to do as many as, as you can and, and as quickly as, as you can yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting to me that the <clears throat> the pacing in this feels so kind of uh, kind of manga yeah maybe even more manga than your earlier work oh cool you know like uh, like you, you really take a long time to show the spaceship crash in a really cool way like uh, you know, the early epoxies, they were like you did. You did like you did some of that, but there was a lot of it was more kind of dense American storytelling, mm-hmm. or more more Western, I guess. Yeah. Do you do you read a lot of manga? Uh, not as much as I probably should. Um, but yeah, I, I try to mix it up. Um, like I just like what I'm reading right now. I guess I'm reading 
some of the I guess the two Tencent manga um, books that uh, Ryan Holmberg I guess and yeah, Tezuka and yeah Tezuka and then the, the uh, picture box books yeah the, the picture box books and then I'm reading um, that Kitaro uh, like horror yeah, manga amazing. collection that DNQ put out a while ago I'm borrowing that from someone who works here actually <laughs> I borrowed that from Robin oh yeah yeah yeah, I read a few of them online. Oh, then you, what's it? I don't know if I got that back. You back. <laughs> it could be like the 501st episode. Amazing. That scene where the guy, where his, his, it's revealed that his shirt is made out of hair of all of his ancestors. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's just so much fun. Or even like the origin of the his dad becoming the eyeball. Yeah. Which is like some of the first stories, I guess. Just that Those poor idea that the hero, one of the heroes is, a, is the character's eyeball that comes out. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I mean, but as far as like um, the uh, the spaceship crash, uh, like I I think I purposefully like stretched that out because I wanted um, there to be like a clear line of like sort of like separation between the the deep space stories that were in Sublife and then the ones that I'm I'm gonna be doing for Epoxy because I think the tone is gonna change and the the art style is really gonna change. So I wanted to sort of like stretch that sequence out so that it's not so jarring once it all gets like collected. Right. You, you do change up styles quite a lot visually. Is that kind of happenstance or purposeful wanting to be doing things a different way in different books? Uh, it's, it's definitely purposeful. Um, and it's just like sort of doing whatever I, I feels like appropriate for this for whatever story I'm working on or for whatever you know like um, like whatever theme um, I'm trying to like explore for, for, for the story so definitely with like the uh, like the J&K stuff it, it you know it's like a comedy or it's like my attempt at comedy and it's way more broad so I wanted the style to be and, was, and that one's like, you know, definitely way more like manga influence. Most of the old British comics. Oh yeah. Like the old. Uh, the dandy. Yeah, I've seen the British Dennis the Menace comics. Oh really? Really, they have a different Dennis the Menace over there. Okay. Yeah, we have a different one in Canada too. Yeah. Is he really? even a menace in Canada? Is he has the worst name young, possible. He's a polite young man. But it's still Dennis the Menace. No, it's not Dennis the Menace. But it's, it's like their version, or it's your version. I'm going to say yes and other people would say no. Okay. <laughs> I want to see this. It's uh, the Drawing Quarterly published the book, The the Nipper. Oh, I haven't seen it. The Doug Wright stuff. I, I, I want to check that out. Yeah. It's, it's very beautiful. It's set designs, all the covers on it. Oh, okay. Nipper? Nipper. Okay. Yeah, it's a terrible name. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. It's uh, a terrible <laughs> Yeah, so some of you, some of your work seemed really, really influenced by the people like the. I'm trying to remember the name of the book that was very Chris Ware looking. Oh, the Sublife. Yeah, Sublife, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that was that you working through an influence, or just you wanting to do something where that, that felt bit like his work? I think so. Yeah, I mean, it, it was him, and it was a lot of other. Um, I guess um, old traditional like newspaper cartoonists. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I remember looking at a lot of. Um, like George McManus and John Held Jr. for for the stuff in Sublife, especially like the the Sycamore Street comics. Okay. Um, 
like the angularity and a lot of like the unfinished like um, can I? <laughs> like I would draw like an elbow that was like you know like this but then like the lines would sort of cross out mm-hmm. and that was very much like a John Held Jr. kind of thing that I just totally ripped off from him um, so it was like an amalgam of, of you know like those guys and like Chris Ware and, and uh, what I thought might be best suited for like literary comics yeah. right. that's interesting too because Chris Ware kind of seems to live like his stuff is very much stuck in in that older era yeah so yeah it's almost like it's almost like taking it and being like what would what would it look like if it did work that was done then influenced by him if he was from then you know yeah but also like there's like a real sort of like modern or even like postmodern sort of like I don't know if it's purposeful. It feels like it's accident, accidental, but like, uh, like a very modern philosophy behind it, a lot of his cartooning. Mm-hmm. Like even just like aesthetically, and I think maybe that's an influence of like Charles Burns. Like he's always like stated like how much of um, an influence Burns was on his like inking, but just the fact that there's like each line looks like it's perfected and almost broken down to like a like an an abstraction like people's heads would just be complete circles right um that to me is almost like a uh, like that's a really interesting like tension between that and like the old sort of like newspaper strips that he that he definitely like borrows from mm-hmm. um where like things are way more organic and, and, and like they have like this sort of like uh tactile like feel to it they're kind of part of life Newspaper, new, newspaper strips would be like an immediate part of life. Yeah. Where it's Chris Ware, it's kind of got this like disconnect. There's like a distance. Yeah. 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 If you look at it like it's typography, it's it's like oh okay, well that's you know um, like the old newspaper stuff is just like really like crow quill dipped like handwritten letters, and uh, a lot of Chris's stuff is like this is like someone who fucking you know. Um, ruled out all of his lines and did all the kerning and all the letting with the with the letters and stuff but like really deliberately like spaced everything so it's perfect um, so in a weird way it's like the result is 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 stuff that looks really cool mm-hmm. but if you really like get to the heart of it it's like there's just so much like care and like so much like craft brought to it that it, it's absolutely like human Looking at one of his original pages, it's pretty overwhelming, right? Yeah. Because like you see, see that attention to detail, and you also see the blue lines, yeah, and all the stuff that he didn't do, right? And you see like what he's trying to work through, and that didn't work, that didn't work, yeah. that didn't work, and you see like there's a whole other comic page under there, like a ghost page, yeah, almost. yeah. No, that's, that's, I think that's why I can't work with blue lines, is that you don't want to look at that stuff when you're trying to finish yeah. your page. That's why I don't even work with paper. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, who needs that aggravation? Oh, man. There's some, I mean, I wonder if, like, with him, the way it's almost purposeful for the original object. I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it's just a process, you know? Yeah. I feel like it's just part of the, of the, like, this iterative, like, writing process. Like, yeah. each stage is, like, a cert, like, a draft of what you're doing. I was thinking of um, Jerry Moriarty when he did the uh, the Jack Survive stuff that was published in Raw. Yeah. Black and white, 
you know, yeah, as yeah. it is. Yeah, the painted stuff. Are you talking about the painted stuff? The comic the... strips. The, right. They're huge. They were huge. I mean, they were probably painted. Yeah. But they were black and white comic strips. Yeah. Um, and then when the Boy Wonder Ventura book came out yeah. and printed in color, you'd yeah. see these new things in there. Yeah, yeah. Like these, what he originally put in because it's photographed. Right. From the original art. And yeah. it's weird how that played. Oh, yeah. Well, I think people all, you can see, my, my wife does, Marion does this too. She, uh, you can see the pencil lines sometimes. She doesn't bother to get rid of them because yeah. for me it feels like it's like you know seeing somebody the bone. It's like seeing the bone of somebody's ribs or something. It's yeah, the, it's a skeleton over the earth. Yeah, it's. it's um, I mean, I guess I was being flippant when I was talking about why I don't work in paper. I but I, I try as hard as I can to like simulate that sort of process um, when I'm working on this antique. Like I actually I pencil everything out. I save every like sort of uh, version of a panel and I even like use a brush that looks just like a pencil or, or gives like a pencil like texture effect um, and then I ink on top of that so the, I mean that's that's definitely like something that I, I feel like is, is uh, uh, an important part of like cartooning like this sort of like iterative process. Nice. And so a new epoxy will be coming out in the new year, maybe? Or uh, it definitely will be out for cab. Uh, I, I wanted to get, I wanted to do two this year. Oh, wow. But um, I don't think that's going to happen. So I'll just probably be ahead of the game to get like one out like early before cab. Or I was expecting it that soon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm having a blast doing it. Um, you know, and I'm excited for some of the ideas that I want to, you know, like try out, but uh, yeah, should be should be out definitely by cab, unless something crazy happens. You know, to the Rizzo. I hope not. <laughs> yeah, you're me doing too. Good. You're doing the Lord's work with that Rizzo. Thank you. <laughs> it's kind of crazy to realize how much like hinges on like, you know, like a spring not like breaking or like a wire not you know melting or having that, that plastic piece. Yeah, having that feeding. plastic <laughs> that I accidentally found out about. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, John. Thank you. Reminder, folks, I've been talking to John Pham. His latest book is Epoxy 4, as well as previous issues of Epoxy, if you can find them, uh, including issue 2 directly from him. Sublife 2 for Fantagraphics. And Sublife for Fantagraphics. Mm -hmm. They're actually out of copies of number 2. Are they? Because I was I never actually got around to getting a copy, and so I asked them to grab me one, oh, and they didn't have any more. Oh, shit. Okay. That means I can't get any more either. <laughs> yeah, I like to sell them at shows. Cool. Well, thanks for having me. It was really fun. Thank you, John. Awesome. Good luck with the uh, rest of the tour.
It's nothing at all. 